Today I'm continuing a, um, a series of messages that we have, have been on uh, the last few weeks, and we've been talking about We've been talking about good news. I, um, I, I remember a story. I, I'm pretty confident I've told this story here before, but it, it just was so fitting for today. I wanted to tell it again. Plus, it's, it's one of those stories that uh, just made an impression on my life. I was, um, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but my family and I, um, we would every year around Christmas time, we, we would gather with our family and we would have a uh, family Christmas. But we also, my parents had uh, close friends who uh, were in our lives and uh, we would sometimes leading up to Christmas, we would have times where we would go to their house or they would come to our house and, and we would have sort of a little Christmas party together with that family and our family just because it was uh, close, close friendship. And uh, we had this family that we were really close to I remember during a period of, of my childhood, and they had a son who was my age, and they had an older son who was my brother's age. I'm one of three uh, three children, and uh, I have an older brother and an older sister. And so they had a son who was my age, an older son who was my brother's age. They did not have any other children. They didn't have a daughter. And so my sister, uh, they loved my sister a lot, and uh, they kind of took it upon themselves uh, to really to really, uh, everything that they would have wanted to do for a daughter, uh, they did that for my sister, because we were just, our families were uh, were really, really close. And so we would go every year, and we would have a, kind of a Christmas party, and we would exchange gifts. We would uh, buy their, their kids a gift, they would buy us a gift. And uh, every um, every year, we I would really anticipate that, and I would really think about, because I would choose the gift for the, the, the son who was my age, and I would really think about what gift I was going to get him, and I would try to get him some sort of gift that, that we liked. And this was, um, does everybody remember the movie Rambo? Okay, there's, uh, there's some people who remember that. Um, well, this was when the movie Rambo came out, and uh, I remember that movie very, very well. And do you remember the knife, the Rambo knife? Okay, so it was this big knife, and on the end of it, you know, he had packed all this stuff, and he was, he could, like, pull, like, he was pulling bazookas out of that knife. I mean, he just pulled anything he needed out of that knife. And uh, I remember during that time, um, Rambo knives were, they would sell Rambo knives at the store, and they sold uh, they sold Rambo knives, and of course there was the real ones, but then there was sort of the knockoff dollar store ones. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Um, and I remember thinking my friend would really like a Rambo knife because we, we, you know, we were really into the movie Rambo, bandana, everything. Just a picture me that way, shirt off, you know, everything. Um, and we would, he kind of lived out in the country, and so we would go, when, when I went to his house to visit, like we would go out, uh, away from the house, out in the country, and we would play Rambo. Anybody else do that kind of stuff? Uh, we, were, we were saving the world, so, you know, you didn't have to worry then. So I thought, let me, I'm going to buy him a Rambo knife, and I couldn't afford the real one, so I went and got the dollar store one, but I saved up, got him the Rambo knife, and I was so excited for this time where we would have this party together to give him his Rambo knife, and I just knew, I just knew that he was going to get me a Rambo knife also, so we could play Rambo in a more dangerous fashion than we were before. <laughs> um, so, 
I remember we went, and man, I, I got there that night, and you know when you wrap a present and it's pretty obvious what it is? It was pretty obvious this was a Rambo knife. I I'd done my best to wrap it, but it was what it was. But I noticed that my package around the tree looked different than the package that I had brought for my friend. It, it was not shaped the same way. And I spent the whole evening trying to figure out what's going on here because, you know, a knife, it was like, you remember the Rambo knife, right? I mean, it was a, it, this my package was kind of short, it was kind of fat. It didn't look like a Rambo knife. And uh, I remember as the evening went on, getting more and more nervous, thinking, what, what is this package? Maybe it's a joke, maybe it's a gag gift, something like that. And so we got to the time we were going to exchange gifts, and uh, sure enough, I gave him uh, his Rambo knife. He unwrapped it. He was so excited, and then they gave me my gift. And when I unwrapped my gift, uh, it was not a Rambo knife. It was a... Do any of you remember Garfield the cat? It was not even Garfield the cat. It was a knockoff version of a, and it was blue, and it was a fake blue Garfield the cat. Now, I don't know what it was about me as a, you know, 9, 10, 11 year old boy that made them think I wanted a gar, knockoff blue Garfield cat. But that's what I got, and I remember thinking, uh, at first I was kind of laughing, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, because I thought, okay, shoved inside is going to be, you know, maybe he gutted the cat because we're Rambo, and inside there will be a note, and my knife is hidden. Now, I'm thinking anything, so I'm looking at this thing all night long trying to figure out what happens, and sure enough, what I got that year was a blue stuffed fake Garfield cat. My sister, on the other hand, I'll never forget got a beautiful gold necklace with little gold beads like she got the most elaborate gift because she was the only girl in the house and I got a blue stuffed Garfield cap my expectations were completely completely crushed Christmas is an amazing time, but we've all had those experiences in life when we anticipated one thing and it turned out another way Am I the only one that ever got a gift and it wasn't quite what you were expecting? Am I the only one who wanted the Rambo knife but got the blue Garfield cat, right? We've all experienced times in our life when our expectations were not met and, and what we desired, what we wanted uh, didn't happen and we experienced disappointment. And when you experience extreme disappointment, it kind of, it kind of, Put you, it's like somebody, have you, ever, have you ever been like punched like in the chest or the gut and like the wind got knocked out of you? And you were just kind of sitting there for a minute trying to catch your breath. And it was like the whole world around you was spinning. It was like the whole world around you. And you were just kind of, you were just kind of stuck. You were kind of shocked. You were kind of like, <gasps> that's how I was that entire night dealing with my disappointment. And I remember when all the festivities were over and it was time to go outside and play Rambo and my friend is running into the wilderness with his knife and I'm carrying Garfield the cat. <laughs> what am I going to do with this thing? Here I am to save the day. I couldn't. I had to just act like 
I had to just act like everything was normal, although I was dying inside over the disappointment. Disappointment and unfulfilled expectations shapes my ability to receive. Many of us, as we enter into this Christmas season, and we're going through the motions, we're we're doing all the stuff, we're we're uh, we're baking the things, we're going to the parties, we're fulfilling the expectations of our life. But when we're really honest in those moments, uh, where we where we really really are wrestling with things, we we know that disappointment. And unmet expectations in 2022 are really shaping my ability to embrace what is good that is coming in 2023. When Jesus came into the world, the Bible says that he came to bring good news. In fact, we've we've read it. Luke chapter eight verses four. Uh, Luke chapter two verses eight through fourteen says this. And and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Friend, when I'm dealing with disappointment or my expectations haven't been met, it doesn't matter how good the news is to everybody else. It doesn't matter how bright the outlook may be when, when I'm hurting from unmet expectations, when I'm wrestling with disappointment, when I've unwrapped my present and it's not what I've been looking forward to all year long, when my life has turned, taken a twist or taken a turn and what I believed or what I thought I believed hasn't come to pass, all of a sudden it's like the air has been knocked out of me and no matter how majestic the moment is, no matter how glorious the moment is, I can't hear the good news, no matter how good it seems to other people, it just seems to blend in to the rest of the noise. Here's the thing, friend. Good news, when I really receive it, when I really embrace it, when it breaks through my disappointment, when it breaks through my discouragement, when it breaks through those things that have disillusioned me and illusioned my life, good news can change everything when it is received. If there's anything that we learn from the moment in which Jesus came to earth and the angels stood up and they brought this message to those shepherds in the field, it's this. When you and I align ourselves with the providential goodness of God, it will, whether I, whether I can see it or not, whether I can understand it or not, it will determine my practical experience of joy. We've talked about it over and over and over again throughout this series. As much as you and I would like to see ourselves as the shepherd to see the angels and respond by running after the crowd and telling everybody about this coming Messiah, the truth is most of the people in Jesus' day, while they may have, may have, may have eaten of the loaves and enjoyed the fish, most of the people in Jesus' day rejected him. Even after the signs, even after the wonders, even after the miracles, most of the people that Jesus encountered rejected him, did not receive the joy of the good news, even though the angels said, the news that I am bringing to you today is meant to give joy to everybody. Here's the thing, friend. 
if you and I do not align ourselves with God's providential goodness, then we cannot embrace the good news that the Messiah has brought. What does that mean? It means that I have to have perspective of the hand of God at work over the course of not just my life, but all lives throughout all of time. It means the maturity and the capacity to see that even when the news is bad in my life, the news is still good for all of time because God has stepped into time and he's brought joy and peace and salvation to humanity. It's the capacity to understand that even when my circumstances turned upside down, God has still made everything right side up. Many of us struggle in joy in our walk with God because our circumstances determine our theology rather than allowing our theology to speak to our circumstances. Many of us, let me say that a little bit differently, many of us determine what we believe about God based on our circumstances rather than who God is and what he has done. We do not embrace the providential goodness of God. And because we have rejected or limited the providential goodness of God based on my circumstances, I cannot embrace good news. In other words, if it's not good for me right now, then it must not be good for anybody at any time. Worse yet, how many of us in our immaturity have lived through seasons in which it was good because my circumstances were good, but when my circumstances turned bad, in my immaturity, I turned my back on God. I turned my back on God and said, God, you must no longer be good because I got the blue cat instead of the Rambo knife. The truth is that that family loved me very much. They were our friends. They cared about me. And if I would have determined how I felt about them for all of my life, and I must have because I still keep talking about it. But if I had (laughs) determined everything that I believed about them because of that one moment in which they made a choice and a decision that to this day I still do not understand. (laughs) Then my relationship with them would have been broken. If I would have said, who they think I am and what I think about them is completely defined by a moment that I don't understand that I would have never embraced the joy of that relationship and that friendship. Last week, uh, as we've been talking about this, I made a couple of statements and I just wanna encourage you, if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks as we've been in our Christmas series, I would encourage you, you can go to our website, you can download the podcast and, and you can catch up with uh, what we've learned so far. What we know is that the gospel, the, the, the declaration that the angels were, were making is that the gospel was coming forward and the gospel is good news because it is about an eternal kingdom. See, that's what I mean about the providential goodness of God that has been at work in all time through all people. If we're working toward a kingdom that is right here, right now, if we base our perspective of the gospel and Jesus and God on my circumstance, then of course we're going to have a problem. Our theology will be unsolid. We will follow whatever philosophy of the world at that point in time makes sense or is the most popular. But if I understand that I'm simply a part of a kingdom that is eternal and the rules if you will of this kingdom are not bound by this time and space then I can embrace that the news is good because it is outside of this time and space and then last week we talked about the fact that many of us 
have a difficult time hearing good news because of defensiveness. Defensiveness deafens our ability to hear good news. How many of you this week, after listening to last week's message, how many of you this week were in the middle of a, a, a situation, a circumstance, or a conversation, and all of a sudden you heard yourself getting defensive? You felt yourself getting defensive. There are two honest people. The rest of you all pray. Okay, let me, I know, I know how you, how many of you heard somebody else getting defensive this week? You heard your spouse getting defensive or your boss getting, yeah. It's easier to see it in other people. Defensiveness, defensiveness causes us to not have the ability to hear good news. Many of you are not embracing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you have these defensive mechanisms that exist. Some of you, it's an emotional defensiveness. Maybe you've been hurt or you've been wounded. For some of you, it's a philosophical defensiveness. You've embraced some philosophy or mindset or theology that has limited God or limited yourself. And so you can't even wrestle with the gospel. You refuse to even wrestle with the gospel because you have all of these defensiveness, these defensive mechanisms up. Well, the truth is we have to get past our defensiveness so that we can hear good news. Well, this morning we're going to take it a little bit further and we're going to see that not only does defensiveness deafen our ability to hear good news, but as I've already kind of let you know, the other the other things that keeps us from hearing the good news is, is disappointment. And, and we read in John chapter 5, uh, probably one of uh, one of these more famous stories in the Bible, and the unfortunate thing is, is that many of us read John chapter five, and we really don't know what John chapter five is all about, because like a lot of the people who follow Jesus, uh, we read John chapter five, and and we get caught up in the miraculous event that took place, and we don't realize what it was all about. John chapter five, of course, is the story of the the man at the pool of Bethesda, and there's this miracle that takes place, and it's incredible. But that story of that man at Bethesda is not what John chapter 5 is all about. The story, if, if you really understand your Bible, the story is there to further illustrate what Jesus is teaching the Jewish people who were there that day who were rejecting him. They were rejecting the gospel. They were rejecting the good news. Let me read from John chapter 5, verses 39 through 43. It says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come into in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. In John chapter 5, when you open it up and you read it, you find out that a festival is taking place, a feast is taking place. It's the feast, most likely the Feast of Pentecost, based on what we can understand from Scripture at this time. Pentecost is a, uh, a celebration of God giving the law of Moses to the people. It is a celebration of revelation of the way of God. So you've got to understand the context of John chapter 5 is a feast in which all of the people's minds and hearts and spirits would have been attuned to 
celebrating the revelation of God where God stepped out of time and space and stepped into the existence of man and gave the law of Moses and said to the people, this is the way that I want you to go. This is the way. That's important. And so they would have been gathered to celebrate revelation of knowing the way that God, who loved them, wanted them to go. That was the occasion in which we are reading in John chapter 5. And so here at this festival, Jesus is there, and he comes to this place, and he finds this man who, uh, who's lame. This man who has some sort of uh, malady that keeps him from being able to move freely. And, of course, we know that Jesus performs a miracle. And in spite of all of that, the people who were there get more upset about the fact that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath and at this festival than they are concerned about the fact that this man, who has been ill for many, many years, has become healed. And so they get upset and they seek to crucify Jesus. They seek to take Jesus out because Jesus is not following the law of Moses, which they are there to celebrate, the revelation of the way of God. See, here's the thing that is true. It was true in Jesus' day. Let me say this very, very clearly. It was true in Jesus' day, and it's true as we finish up 2022. In 2022, people seek to reinterpret Jesus in a way that makes them feel like they are right, that makes them feel like they are validated, that they can explain, that they can understand, that helps them to build a kingdom that they want. And in the same way, when Jesus was on the earth, that he would not allow people to reinterpret him in a way that built their kingdom, and that's what got him crucified. In 2022, when Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the one that exists in popular culture, not the one that exists in, in trash books that take the Bible out of context and create false theology, not the one that's all over Instagram, and all, the real Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus of history, when that Jesus stands up and says, I won't allow myself to be reinterpreted to build your kingdom. Instead, I'm here to build the kingdom of God in the same way that they crucified Jesus back then. We cancel Jesus in 2022. And if we think 2023 is going to change that, we're out of our minds. It's not going to change that. Because the heart of man says, I need to reinterpret. I need to reinterpret God so that I'll be God myself. Going back to Genesis chapter 3. It's never, ever changed. You and I must understand that the news of the gospel is good, but it is only good if we receive it as it was given. And that is this, that we are lost without the love of God and that God himself steps into our existence. He steps into our existence and he provides for us an answer that we are incapable of. The law of Moses was given to the Jewish people not so that they could save themselves. The law of Moses was given to the Jewish people so that they would understand that they were never capable of righteousness outside of the grace and mercy of God. People of Jesus' day had a difficult time embracing Jesus. Those people in John chapter 5 could not embrace Jesus because Jesus came bringing a message to them that said, God will do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. As I read John chapter 5, there are a few things that I 
I want you to see this morning. First of all, I want you to see this. Those things that define me become the filters through which I interpret the world and allow the world to interpret me. As you read John chapter 5, again, you see the story of a man who has been sick for a very long time. Jesus comes into his space. He comes into his pain. He comes into his disappointment and his agony. And in the middle of that space, he says, let me bring an answer. And that man was not prepared to receive that answer because he was so defined by his disappointment. He was so defined by his hurt his hardship, his malady. He was so defined by how he saw the world and what he believed that when the Messiah, the answer for all things was standing in front of him, he could not see him. John chapter five isn't about just the healing of this man. John chapter five is about the fact that Jesus came into the world and the world knew him not, as scripture would say it. The world did not see him. The world did not understand him. It's about the fact that here Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God to earth and the earth was rejecting the kingdom because it didn't like the way that it came because man wants to build his own kingdom. John chapter 5, let me read verses 2 through 9 to you. It says this, now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic Bethesda which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Get the picture. There are a multitude. There are a whole lot of people who are lame, who are blind, who are sick, who are paralyzed, and they're all huddled around this pool. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Everyone say 38. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now the day, now that day was the Sabbath. As we read that incredible story, we cannot miss understanding what it's all about. See, disappointment deafens our ability to hear good news. Disappointment deafens our ability to hear good news. Here this man had been laying there for 38 years, the king of the universe, the very one that spoke life into existence was standing in front of him and said, do you wanna be healed? He didn't ask him, do you need help into the water? He didn't ask him, do you need to get healed the way you've always thought you were supposed to get healed? Oh, this is for somebody this morning. He didn't ask him, do you need the Rambo knife? He didn't ask him. He said to him, do you want to be healed? Not the way you think it should happen. Not when you think it should happen. Not how you think it should happen. He asked him, do you want to be healed? And the man's answer was not yes. The man's answer was, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. Get this. 
his mental framework would not allow him to see the Messiah that was standing in front of him. Man, I just, you got to get this. Jesus was standing in front of him and said, do you want your life to forever change? He couldn't even answer the question because in his mind, there was no capacity to even wrestle with the news that healing was in front of him that day. All he could do was start making excuses as to why he would not be healed. Some of us have been making excuses as to why things are the way they are in our life for so long that when God breaks in, when our day has come, we have no capacity to even mentally wrestle with the idea that freedom is in front of us. We have no capacity to even wrestle with the idea that things could change. Some of us have stopped believing that things could change for so long that even if it were standing in front of us, all we would do is keep going down the road of why it cannot and will not happen. Why 2023 will look just like 2022. While I will continue to be lame and deaf and broke, why my marriage will continue to struggle, why my job will continue to be the way it is, why my family will always be lost, why I'll always be sick and diseased, all the reasons why it cannot happen. Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the guy could not even answer the question. I'm wondering today, in this season of hope, in this season of joy, in this season of Christmas, can you even wrestle can you even wrestle with the idea that God wants something to be different in your life? You may say, but pastor, I thought, I thought it wasn't, I thought, this, I thought this chapter wasn't all about that guy. You're absolutely right. It wasn't all about that guy. It was about the rest of the people who were around who couldn't even see what Jesus was all about because they were so entrenched in their theology they were so entrenched in their system of belief, in their worldview, they thought things had to be a certain way and, and, and the Messiah had to behave a certain way and religion had to be a certain way that even though he was standing there in front of him, even though he was doing signs and wonders and miracles, they still could not believe. The Bible says that these people these people got upset because he healed on the Sabbath. They were more concerned about the law than they were concerned about the one who wrote the law. John chapter 5 verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Listen, I want to encourage you this week during your daily 20 to go read John chapter 5 through the lenses of understanding what it was really all about. Because there is this discourse that happens between Jesus and the group of people who were there that day. 
this group of people who were angry and wanted to kill Jesus. And it is this fascinating conversation that unfolds between these people and Jesus. And he says to them, listen, you are so caught up in your worldview. You're so caught up in your legalism. You're so caught up in the way you think God has to move, the way you think God has to save you, the way you think the Messiah has to change things, that you can't see that I am he, that I'm in front of you, that I'm busy doing the Father's work because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. They weren't prepared for it. And so as a result of not being prepared for it, even though he was doing miracles in front of them, they were ready to kill him. I've said it several times through this series and I'm going to say it again today. Many of us have said, God, if you'll just do this, then I will believe in you. Many of us have prayed prayers. We've said to other people, if God will just perform this miracle in my life, if he'll just cause this to take place, then I'll know that he's real. Here's the truth, friend. It doesn't matter what miracle he does. If your heart isn't ready to receive the good news, you'll just keep moving the goalposts. You'll just keep moving the goalposts. You'll say, this year it's a Rambo knife. Next year it's a new car. This year it's restoring my marriage. Next year it's getting me a better job. This year it's healing me of this. Next year it's changing that. People in Jesus' day just kept moving the goalposts because their hearts would not receive the fact that the Messiah had come. But instead of being critical, instead of looking at them with judgment, just wonder if it's possible for a moment to consider what it must have been like to have been them, to have waited your entire life and the lives of your fathers and your father's fathers to have waited for a Messiah to come and for him to have never come, to have dreamed about freedom from oppression. In your time, it would have been the Roman rule and how they oppressed you and and how they kept you in a box and enslaved you and and objectified you and subjected you to... Your whole life, you had been under Roman oppression and you had been under religious oppression and you had been waiting for a Messiah to deliver you. And here he came, and instead of coming like a king and in triumph, instead of coming with an entourage and with wealth and power and remember all of those things that Satan had tempted Jesus with, instead of coming with the trappings of a kingdom of this world that you could comprehend and understand, he looked at you and said, my father is the creator of life, and I'm here to give you life. And you're looking at him, and you're scratching your head, and you're saying, but life to me is my belly. Life to me is the house that I live in. Life to me is the pain that I feel right now. And he's looking at you and he's saying, oh, friend, that stuff's not life at all. That stuff is temporal. It passes away. It's a, it's a kingdom that's going to be burned up. I'm telling you about a kingdom that is eternal. Instead of looking at those people who judge Jesus and kill Jesus with judgment ourselves, is it possible that we could put ourselves in that story and understand, friend, disappointment 
rewires your brain. Disappointment rewires how you feel and what you think. When you've been dealing with heartache and hardship and hurt your whole life, even when the Messiah is standing in front of you, is it possible that you wouldn't recognize him? Is it possible if you've been laying by a pool for 38 years and every time you were just on the cusp of your healing, somebody cut in front of you, every time it looked like a new day was about to dawn, something changed. Is it possible that you and I also could come to a place where we sing Christmas carols, we talk about His glory and His love and His grace and it becomes just songs to us and no longer real? Is it possible that you and I also could be in circumstances and situations in which truth is brought into our lives and we've become more comfortable living in our lie, living in our brokenness, living in our pain than we are with the freedom that Jesus has brought to us? See, here's the thing. When I become more comfortable identifying with my brokenness than with wholeness, I stop listening. The law of Moses was given to the Jewish people, not because the law would bring them freedom, but because the law taught them that they were broken. The law was a taskmaster. It was a teacher. The law was given to Moses so the people could understand we can never achieve righteousness on our own. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, these people had lived under the law and they had added to the law to try to explain it and understand it. And they had created their own law beyond the law of God and they had become enslaved to the law of Moses. And so, even though politically they were enslaved to Rome, now religiously and spiritually they were enslaved to the law of Moses and their minds could not imagine, comprehend, or even wrestle with anything different. They had become completely identified with the law. And that is why when the one who wrote the law came to them, when the one who created the law came to them, they could not recognize him. That is why the man at the pool, when the giver of life stood in front of him, could not recognize him. Because he had become more comfortable in his death. He had been become more comfortable in his pain. He had become more identified with his brokenness than he was with the hope of life. See, we should not become haughty. We should not become proud because many of us may not be at a pool of Bethesda, but we are in depression, we are in anxiety, we are in fear, we're on sickness, we're in disease, we're in brokenness somewhere and in some way of our life. And every time the Lord breaks in and says, I'm here, every time the Lord steps into that moment in our life to intervene, to change, to make a difference, to speak life into that place, we do not hear him, we do not see him, we do not recognize him. Because we've become more comfortable with the label of our brokenness. When he says, do you want to be healed? We start telling him the reasons why we can't. We're more comfortable. We're more comfortable explaining why we lie. 
than allowing him by his spirit to produce integrity and character in us and changing the way we speak. We're more comfortable making excuses. Can, can I just get down to where we're living? We're more comfortable making excuses for ourselves and those around us and why we have to pay bribes to get anything done. We're more comfortable with the brokenness of the system than we are the righteousness that reinvents the system. We're more comfortable saying, oh, just follow the science. Then we are saying, you know what? I serve a God who kind of invented science. Who can break the rules because he made the rules. We're more comfortable explaining away the miraculous. The man was lame. He was broken and then he was healed. And instead of talking about his healing, they were talking about why his healing was illegitimate because it happened on the Sabbath. Does that not sound like 2022 to you? Instead of talking about the miraculous things that God is doing, we delegitimize the miraculous because it doesn't fit into our bubble. Because to embrace the bubble means that maybe, just maybe, the rules that we've added to the rules aren't really the rules after all. Perhaps God is God and I'm not. Well, you liked that line. Perhaps he's capable of things that I'm not. Perhaps he understands things that I will never understand because I'm not him. Perhaps I cannot explain it all. Perhaps I cannot reason it all. Perhaps I don't have the full picture. Perhaps he's God and I'm not. See, here's the difference. The difference is in all of my attempts to be God, in all of my attempts to control my circumstances, my situations, my life, I still find myself laying beside the pool in need of somebody else to drag me in because I just cannot seem to get there. Am I more comfortable identifying with my brokenness than I am with wholeness, than I am with life, than I am with liberty? Am I more comfortable making excuses for why things are not in my life than I am declaring the one who says the way things are? John chapter 5, verse 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Those who hear will live. 